Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm trying to elevate small talk to medium talk. Chester, and I don't like talking to people I know, but strangers I have no problem with. And I'm Avsonensky, and I once invested in a whorehouse and made a fortune. Welcome back to Pretty, Pretty, Pretty Good, a Curb Your Enthusiasm podcast. We are here to discuss Season 3, Episode 1, Chet's Shirt, which originally aired on September 15th, 2002. You know, four days after the first anniversary of 9-11, which is one of the most somber moments in American history, an LD is back on HBO to crack jokes about a guy who suffered a sudden and tragic death. So, uh, you know, nothing is uh, off is uh, off limits with LD. Yeah, to which I say too soon, Larry David. Yeah, too soon. <laughs> well, he will obviously have jokes about those who died on, on 9-11. Oh, those will be to come in uh, plentiful amounts. Yes, of course. Um, you know, whether or not it was a bike accident on West 56th or not. But uh, let's jump right into the recap. Uh, we're at season three. We got to keep moving. Yeah, let's keep going. And uh, I think we have a lot to cover in this episode. So we uh, we see Jeff and Larry. They're walking on the street, and Jeff says he has decided to give up red meat. And Larry says, "Why?" Jeff says, "No reason." Larry is very disturbed by this, uh, rightfully so, I would say, um, because yeah, you can't just you don't just like quit meat. Like that's like a pretty monumental life decision to actually make for real for no reason. No, it's it's the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard. Like it, it's a thing that many people do, but it's for a reason. Yeah, and it, it annoys me that. Larry just drops it so easily and that it never comes back into the story. Yeah, and there could be many very good reasons. Health, ethics, taste, yeah. you know, these are all legitimate reasons. Yeah. Uh, although taste is probably unlikely if you're, like, you know, for a man like Jeff. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it doesn't make, that's not a thing you do for no reason. Yeah, presumably it's health in Jeff's case. We can, you know, we... I mean, the, the reason, if it, no reason basically means I'm doing it to annoy my friends by saying to them no reason. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I guess you just like... Let's see what happens the next time we go out, and we'll find out if this is real or if this is shtick. Because yeah. no reason. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing it doesn't yeah, last very. No long. reason implies shtick. Yeah. Um, I, I we both have a friend that I think would say no reason to this question. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so uh, Jeff asks Larry. By the way, are you going to invest in that restaurant that we, I guess, have previously talked about? Larry says he's thinking about it. Jeff says, you know, Ted Danson is. Um. So is Michael York, and they got the manager and the assistant manager from Gus's, which I guess is some other restaurant in town. And you know, we think this is going to be really fun, and it's probably also a great investment. And Larry says, yeah, yeah it'll probably be fun. Um. He's not so sure about the investment, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, investing in restaurants is famously like the yeah. worst thing you can ever do with your money. And that's pre-COVID. Oh, if you're yeah. like a bunch of rich celebrities and, you know, you have money to burn and you want to hang out with your friends, then sure, have at it. But um, 
you know, I, I won't say who it is because I don't want to, uh, you know, uh, say bad things about people that I care about. But uh, some people I know quite well invested quite a large amount of money in a macaroni and cheese chain of restaurants. Smacks? No, it's not a macaroni and cheese chain of restaurants you've ever heard of. Oh. Because ah, didn't, again, it didn't do well. Right, <laughs> they lost all their money. I was like, please introduce and me to I your friend like, who is the CEO of Smacks. Oh, who's that? No, I'm kidding. Smacks is like a, a, oh. a macaroni cheese chain oh, in but Manhattan. For a second, I thought you were saying it was somebody anywhere else. Oh, no, no, no. I'm saying. I, I should have put the two of them together. Yeah, yeah. So at the time, I was saying, you know, like, uh, you know, I'm not sure if this is the best investment for you. And they said, oh, no, but what we're doing with our friends and with our brother in law. And it's going to be, I'm like, it's going to be good. I'm like, well, that's like not the right reason to invest your money. But, you know, maybe they had money to burn also. I don't know. Um, yeah, no, yeah, this, this sounds like, yeah, it's a fun project to do. It's like flipping a house. If, like, you're into that, sure, go for it. If, it's, if you're viewing this as a hobby. If you think you're going to make $100,000, then you should probably rethink it. Yeah. Um, Ab, do you like the name Bobo's for a restaurant? Uh, no. In our high school, Bobo did not have a positive comment. Yeah, um, although I have another friend named Bobo who is very good. So it can go either way. Yeah. Now, w- when I think of Bobo, I think of the more recent one. So I would go to his restaurant. I actually just ate at a restaurant uh, for dinner tonight for the first time in like four or five months. Oh, really? What restaurant? Like it's a tavlin, it's called. Oh, in Tenafly. Yeah, it's really good. It's got an outdoor seating area. Oh, that's uh, awesome. And actually, they got from the city like an extensive, like they, they're sort of they're on a they sort of opposite a, a park and like an old unused train station. So they got a lot of space to to put their tables very far apart, and it was delightful. I yeah, felt like uh, I was living in a normal world. If you had uh, if you had told me before you were going, I would recommend that you get the uh, like skirt steak homeless plate. Because it's phenomenal. Okay. So if you ever will, go back uh, there, really yeah, good. I go back there from time to time. Yeah, check it's it out. not too far from where I live. And anyone else who's out there in the greater Tenafly, Englewood, <laughs> Teaneck area, stop by Tavlin. Jerry Seinfeld recorded an episode of Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee right there. Yeah. Um, not not at Tavlin, but right right at a coffee shop like next door. And then they went. It was with, um, oh, what's that comedian's name? It's a, it's a comedian. She's like a large woman. She's friends with Amy Schumer. She's very famous for her like very raunchy attitude. Don't know. Uh, like she likes to like sort of pull people from the audience and like sort of pull their heads into her bosom and stuff. Anyways, uh, she so they were walking. They sort of passed a uh, an auto dealership right there. That's right in that that little square where Tavlin is. Oh. And the uh, and the guy who owns the auto place comes and starts yelling at them. What are you doing? Get off my property! And I'm like, yeah, great idea. Jerry Seinfeld and another person and a whole bunch of cameras are going to give you some free publicity, but chase them off yourself. <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, your maybe Noah Feldman was behind it. Oh, because he uh, he's out to get Tenafly. Yeah, yeah. The Arab. That's a very deep insight. Should we uh, should we go over the dispute over the Tenafly Arab for the <laughs> yes, audience? That, that's that's the purpose of this podcast. <laughs> that's yeah. what I know. That's what you're here for. Uh, yeah. Local Orthodox politics. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so um, as they're walking by, Larry uh, decides to uh, issue himself of the uh, apple he was eating, and he throws it into a random trash can in front of someone's house. Um, the owner sees him and confronts him. He's like, hey, what the hell are you doing? He says, that's gar- garbage can is only for my garbage, and Larry's garbage should go in his own garbage. So yeah. I would say to determine who is right and who is wrong here, we need to know one very important thing, and that alone is a determining factor. If the garbage is full or not? No, whether or not this garbage has like a garbage bag in it that's open, or did Larry just like throw it into a, a plastic can that now it's going to sit at the bottom of the can? Okay, you know, you know um, what I'm saying. Like, if the, usually I see what you're saying. Yeah, it'd be yeah. Like usually, be grosser, usually right? most people saying. on their when they have it outside by the curb, they don't have it as like, oh, this is a place to put garbage in, and I put in a garbage bag for you. Because they just like throw it into the bottom of the met of the plastic can is like that's not nice to do to the owner. He's going to end up with like a, a rotted apple there three days later. 
you, only if it's completely empty, I guess. Yeah, or right. just whatever. Or it's just going to be sitting there between the bags. It's gross. Yeah, uh, I mean, so I'm. So do, do you you don't do, well. Let me ask you, Bob. Do you if there's a bag? I guess do you throw garbage in people's garbage? If there's a bag, I I obviously would. Um, if there isn't a bag, I would say you shouldn't, but I might still do it. I, mean, I 100% do, and I'm 100% on Larry's side here. Like, okay. You can't fill someone else's garbage can up, and to me that's like – you can't go and put a large thing in someone's garbage and fill it, but a solitary apple core, totally inoffensive here. Okay. Yeah, so I just I just disagree I because of the I, lack I, of garbage I, I buy bag. I what you're saying. If it's also completely empty, then I guess it creates the opposite problem, which is you said it's going to go to the bottom and like you know rot or whatever. But assuming there's a sizable amount of garbage in there, so it's sitting in between two bags, you know, I don't have a problem with that. All right. But my issue here is why are Jeff and Larry, at the top of this episode, randomly walking around a residential neighborhood anyway? Like, where could they possibly be going? They're not going for a walk because Jeff is in a suit. You don't go for a walk in a suit. So they have to be going somewhere. Where could they be going to or from? It doesn't look like Larry's neighborhood so, from – Yeah, I had yeah. the same question, and I think we're supposed to assume based on the end of the episode that this must yes. be near Larry's house. Yes. So at the end of the episode, of course, Ted will walk past the same house. But that part is even more confusing because spoilers for the end of the episode. Yeah, Ted does not live in the same neighborhood as Larry. Right. We know this because yeah, so he's he driven wouldn't, up there he before. He wouldn't be walking. And if you drive to Larry's house, you don't park several houses <laughs> right. away because we've already seen his massive driveway. Yeah. Or even like, this is like this is like he walked like a block already. Yeah. So very unclear uh, where this is, and, and you know, but whatever they need it for the story. So I won't I won't push it too. Much. Maybe there's like a. I don't know. There's something that's like down the block from Larry that like you would go to if you live near Larry. But I have no idea. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, Larry's neighbor doesn't strike me as the place that has. Yeah, any there's no like bodega sense. on the corner. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, they have the, the best apples. There. Just <laughs> yeah. know where to put the core. You never know. They have great Bartlett pears. Yeah. Um, okay, so the uh, the guy, uh, they're, they're still arguing, and uh, he tells Larry. And this is just such a stupid threat. Uh, he tells him that the next person that he sees doing him, doing this, he's going to kick his ass. And Larry says, okay, I'll pass that message along to the next guy. Yeah. Um, so basically he's telling Larry, you're off the Although hook. He, he, Larry failed to do so, and he probably should have. Yeah, he should have He should have put out like a PSA like on his door. FYI. Yeah. <laughs> to the next guy. Yeah. By the way, th- this, uh, this, this is uh, Alan Havey. The, the, did you recognize him? The garbage protector man? No. Oh, so he's a, he's like a well-known New York comedian. Uh, he's he used to appear on like Louie and stuff like that. He's friends with all sort of the comedians of that age and era. Oh, okay, cool. In New York, and apparently in California one day. Was he ever on Seinfeld or no? Uh, I don't think so, but he seems like the kind of guy who could have actually. So that's a that's a good question. I, he's obviously close enough with Larry that right. he gets on this show. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, wait, Alan Havey Seinfeld actually. What does Ooh. it say? Accidental Seinfeld who, credit. Who does he play on Seinfeld? Um, he guessed what? Okay, Havy's film roles include Jerry Seinfeld's documentary comedian. Havy has guest starred on Seinfeld, but it doesn't say what his role is. All right, we got to continue this internet search. This is a riveting podcast thing. Yeah, let's check it out. He's the, oh, he's in the wait out. Who is he in the wait out? Who's he in the wait out? Oh God, yeah. This is this is too deep of a cut for me. He plays a policeman. Okay. So he's, oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, sorry. Let's uh, let's continue. All right. That was great. You can even tell us who he is in the end. Just he's a policeman, and that you now visualize the scene. But all right, cool. Um, anyway, now we are over at what is Barbara's house, 
and Larry walks in. He says hi to Barbara. Um, he tells Cheryl, okay, you know, it's time to get going. He asked, they ask Barbara how everything is. She says horrible. Um, and then she says she's going to go off to get the catalogs. Um, when Barbara walks away, Larry's like, all right, so how's it going? She says all she talked about the whole time is Chet. Larry asks if she asked about the picture frame that she was supposed to work on. We gave her a picture frame five months ago. Cheryl says yeah. she couldn't because of the Chet situation. As we know, he died four months ago. Um, but Cheryl agrees, you know, okay, this is getting a bit ridiculous already. We should probably ask what's going on with the frame. Yeah. By the way, I'm not a fan of Chet. If your name is Chester, embrace Chester. Why are you, why are you shortening it? All right. Um, yeah. yeah. Also, uh, I, it's very strange to me. Like That's a very personal complaint. going to Barbara for a frame? Like, we see this frame at the end of the episode. Uh, there's nothing particularly, like, unique about it that would require them engaging some special woman who you have to visit at her home and who gives you, like, a hand delivery. It's, like, a pretty straightforward frame job. Yeah, but maybe, like, it's just, like, you, their friend Barbara does frames, so they're like, why not let Barbara do it and, like, give her the business? Yeah, but you, you don't go to her shop. You, she does it out of her house. I don't know. Maybe she does it in her shop, but, like, she'll bring uh, – who knows? I mean, they're the neighbors, so, like, you know. It's a classic example of, of a close friend that they will never see ever again. Yeah, um, and uh, as we'll see, Larry uh, claims that he likes not to mix professional and uh, fr- and social. Uh, yes. Even though he quite clearly does that all yeah, the time in almost every the episode. the entire purpose of this show. <laughs> yeah, that's is the entire the show is his, what, his professional yeah. interactions with his friends and every, how everything crosses each other. Um, anyway. So um, Larry looks over, sees a picture of Chet, and he Larry loves the shirt that Chet is wearing in the picture, and he says it's exactly the type of shirt he should be wearing. He asks Barbara where she got it. Um, she doesn't know, or at least she claims she doesn't know. She's very focused on his death, but Larry, he's going to keep probing about this. Um, maybe the mall or the promenade. She doesn't know, but Larry keeps pushing. Cheryl's clearly like starting to get embarrassed at like how insensitive Larry's being. And she finally remembers it was from Caruso's on Wilshire's on Wilshire Boulevard. Uh, Larry says, "Great." Uh, Cheryl asks about the frame. Uh, she says, "Oh, I don't know about that." Larry, Larry points out, "You know, it's been five months." Barbara's shocked. She's like, "You know, my husband dropped dead. God forbid this should happen to you, Cheryl." Larry assures uh, Barbara that if this were to happen to Cheryl, she would be dancing around the Trevi Fountain. Uh, but Barbara makes it clear she's not ready to joke about this sort of stuff, and they kind of leave without the picture frame really being resolved. Yeah. Uh, if I asked your wife where you purchased an item of clothing, unless she purchased that item for you, is there any chance she would know? Um, if she purchased it for me, then she would for sure know. Yeah, but if uh, so, but did Barbara buy the shirt for her husband? I guess that's what we're meant to yeah. assume. Yeah, or or yeah, I guess it depends. I don't know. Um, if I bought it on my like, boy, own, I love this shirt. Let me tell you why I got it, honey. Yeah, if I bought it on my own, shit, it's possible it would come up, but like not likely. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but yeah, it turns out she remembers. Um, so we see Larry and Jeff walking. They're heading over, in, heading over to the uh, meeting about the restaurant, and Larry asks what the name of the place is going to be. Jeff says Bobo's. Larry likes the name. They enter, and they say hi to Ted. They, they see the rest of the group. Um, he, Ted confirms he's in on the deal. Larry says he once invested in a whorehouse and made a fortune, so you know he's all about investing. Um, Ted mentions that Mary's away in Australia shooting a film. I tried to look. I couldn't figure out if this is a real movie. Um, nothing that I came across seemed obviously correct. Um, yeah. And she's really upset that he, she's going to be missing Jill's birthday party, which, by the way, you guys are invited, and we're doing this amazing Wizard of Oz theme, and I'm going to be dressing up as the Scarecrow. I would love Jeff to be the Lion. 
Uh, Larry quickly cuts him off. He says, actually, I think I would be the better lion. Jeff objects that a fat tin man just doesn't really make any sense, but Larry insists he won't come if he has to be the tin man. So Ted says, fine, Larry, you can be the lion. Jeff agrees to be the fat tin man that will disappoint the children. <laughs> yes. Um, before we before we even get to, to to the birthday party, I'm just a little confused given Larry's reputation why the other investors would want him. It doesn't seem like his money would be worth the stress. Uh, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I don't ha- I don't have a counterpoint. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to think of something in my head, but everything I thought of was stupid. Um, yeah. yeah, he's uh, Larry's not worth not a good person to go into business with, probably unless they think somehow he would like open up doors to uh, you know NBC people. But Ted Danson could probably do or the same. Or they're scared that if they don't allow him in, he'll open up a competing business, uh, sp- a spite restaurant right next door. Yeah, yeah. There's no reason to assume that yet, but I guess it was always in his yeah. DNA, probably. <laughs> Yeah, um, not an assumption you need yeah. to make just yet. Anyway, it's uh, it's probably this is probably a good time to mention that uh, two or was it two or three years ago, my family dressed up for Purim, and I of course was given the apparently not desired costume of the Tin Man. Yes. Um, so you I've know, seen these pictures. The Wizard of Oz is like one of my favorite childhood things, and like it was like. One year, I was just like, hey, this year, we're going to do Wizard of Oz for Purim. And my wife said, okay, I guess, if you, like, if you really care. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And so then she went and like, researched all the costumes and like, came back with like, okay, this is like, available for this, and you're going to be Tin Man. And I said, cool. Even though Tin Man is definitely not the coolest of the three guys to be, uh, you know, if that, I'm not going to push back if that's what you know, I was assigned. Well, you um, want it to be Dorothy, obviously. No, I, would like, I want to be Scarecrow. Scarecrow is, I think, the best, and then second best oh, is Oh, really? Lion. You don't want to be the Lion? I think Scarecrow is the best, yeah. I think because he has the I think he has the best song, um, and he's like he's like the 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 one who's like her best friend. So yeah, I were think you, he's the best. Were you singing all the songs at your perm party? Was I singing all the songs? Well, you you said that Scarecrow's the best because he has the best song. Oh no, yeah. I mean, that's the song I know the best. I think he that's the best of the three songs. Um, although Lion has that weird extra song before they like go in to see the wizard, but it's not a good song. Um, but yeah, I would yeah, choose Scarecrow first, then Lion. Tin Man is definitely the worst, but I'm not I'm not an asshole, so I didn't complain about the costume I was assigned after my wife had done all the work to like put together costume assignments. Yeah, you weren't going to threaten to boycott the whole thing. Yeah, especially since it was my idea to begin with, which unlike Larry. But Larry, honestly, like Larry seems much more into this at all than I would think. Like I wouldn't think that Larry would be interested in playing the lion at a kid's birthday party. Especially because if we at least get to see Mary. By the way, Mary doesn't come back into town for her uh, child's birthday party. I mean, I, I guess know. if you're on location in Australia for so. a shoot, yeah. like that's, you know, but that's we life. Know that, that's we job. know that Larry has always been a fan of Mary, not the biggest fan of Ted. Yeah, that's true. Maybe she thinks that Ted will share the the story with Mary in Australia about <laughs> Larry's selfless behavior. Yeah, no, I yeah, I think this is out of character for Larry, but I guess you know he's into yeah. it. But I think it's in character for Larry to once he doesn't get the cut the assignment that he wants, he's out. Yeah. Um. So we sit down at the meeting to discuss the restaurant. Yes. Um. And Ted compliments Larry's shirt and asks where he got it. Larry says, actually, I saw it in a dead guy's picture. <laughs> um, they intro Larry to the rest of the group. He says hi to Michael York, the two individuals, the manager and the assistant manager from the uh, from Gus's uh, that we, we yeah, referred to. That includes Susie Nakamura, yeah. the assistant manager of the restaurant. She played an HBO production designer in episode zero. Oh, OK. I thought that name found so, familiar. Yeah. So she's back uh, back on Curb as a. 
is she the same person and she just you know transitioned from uh from you know uh cable television yeah i assume that's the storyline and we'll we'll see where we pick up with her in season five i assume this will probably track (laughs) yeah where where does Susie nakamura go (laughs) yeah that's gonna be the the series finale yeah (laughs) and we'll we're gonna be the only ones that figured it out yes um Anyway, so Larry says he's really intrigued by the restaurant. Everyone's really excited about it. They all agree it's a great location. Um, but Larry says he has one rule. There's no way he's investing if they're going to serve kebabs in any capacity. Yeah. Jeff confirms, obviously, you're kidding, right? He says, no. They, call, they all call him a kebabophobe. He admits he is a little bit afraid of, a, of the stick, and therefore he doesn't want any kebabs involved. Now, this is a great setup for a punchline that will be delivered next season when uh, he will hit Ben Stiller in the eye. Oh, yeah. That's very good. I would not have thought of that. Yeah. Larry probably didn't either. Um, yeah, or maybe he did. Or he just whatever. This is like he, he thinks about this sort of stuff a lot. Yeah. Um, Larry suggests that he thinks every table should have a bell on it so that you could get the waiter's attention, each with their own tone that the waiter can <laughs> identify like a butler bell. Um, yeah. So according to IMDb, when it said like trivia on the bottom on this episode... They claim that this idea has been Im- implemented in many restaurants in Spain. In Spain. In Spain. Okay. I don't know. I don't. I, I don't know how much you're you're supposed Spain. to trust things on IMDb. Yeah. I don't know if they have like a there's like a Wikipedia army on there like there is for Wikipedia, um, or not. But yeah, that's what it said. So take that for what it's worth. Um, Michael York uh, says he's appalled by the idea, so that's yes. probably not going to happen. Yeah. Um, Larry says, all right, let's talk uniforms. Uh, he's told that they plan to use, you know, pretty standard white shirt with dark slacks. But Larry's yeah. not impressed. He says, I'm going to go looking forward. Uh, I'm going to go looking for uniforms with Jeff. Uh, but either way, uh, I'm in. Can you think of the uniform at any restaurant that you frequent? Because I, I don't think I've ever noticed the uniform. Yeah, the um, I feel like a lot of restaurants do like black on black, which I guess is like yeah, probably to no, your but, point is supposed to make them like you don't really even notice the waiters unless they're talking to you. They kind of want to like them blend in. Yeah, I feel like if the thing you're talking about a restaurant is the waitstaff's outfits, that's probably not great for the restaurant. Yeah, um, yeah, probably not Food great. Is so good, the service is amazing, but get this: the costumes of the <laughs> of the waiters. Yeah, unless you're like really just trying to create like a very specific ambiance, like a theme restaurant. Yeah, yeah. If it's you know, if it's like medieval times or something, obviously. Yeah. Or like a fifties diner. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, a normal upscale restaurant, like, I mean, I don't know, maybe there are people that are, I would never notice it, but there could be some people that would, um, our, you know, one of our friends, uh, the, the, the only member of the, the only female member of the Seinfeld group has like a ridiculous uncanny ability and memory for what people wore. That's bad. Cause I feel like I, I you know, I, I don't make an effort to wear different things when I see people. And when my wife does, I argue with her. I'm like, there's zero percent chance that this person remembers what you wore last time we were at their house six months yeah, ago. Yeah, so this person would. Would. Yeah, okay. like, she, like she could say, oh, you wore that to like so-and-so's wedding seven years ago. And by the way, even if, even if you do wear the same thing again, it's like, well, okay. Oh, like, yeah. No, I, 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 have a, I have a rotation. I didn't wear it every day. No, no, no. This is like, this isn't, she doesn't do it like in a judgy way. She just does it in a like ridiculous ability way. Yeah, much like our other friend who uh, can tell you to the uh, eighth of an inch what your height is. Yes, or our other friend who can tell you uh, what happened to the Mets on any given day if you tell them a date in two thousand like five through nine. Yeah. Um, Wait, is, is that is that Akiva or someone else? No, that's uh, someone else. That's Benny Michelle. Benny, Benny. Oh, he can do that. Yeah, yeah like, my second guess. 
Yeah, in like in like a three year period, you could tell him a date, and he could tell he uh, he once met Carlos Beltran, and they like did the trick on him, like because he didn't believe it, and Carlos he said he told Carlos Beltran throw out a date, and he said like some date, and Benny says like yeah, you went like three for six, and you hit two home runs, and he's like yeah, you're right, I remember like he chose that day because he knew it was like a day that like, it was like his birthday or something, or he hit and he hit two home runs, and he's like yep, exactly right, it's ridiculous, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, it's good that he didn't pick a day. He's like, uh, you went over five. You had three strikeouts. Uh, you left a called third strike to end the uh, game seven of the NLC. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yes. And Donald Trump was there. Yeah, that would have been less good. Um, yeah, you think Donald Trump could tell you what happened on that play? No, he was right there. <laughs> um, okay, Wait, you don't know about this? No. Yeah, pull up the picture of Carlos Beltran looking at that pitch, and, you, and you'll see Donald Trump standing like center square. Oh, so he was really there for for all all the disappointments and failures. He was there. For, yeah, he was involved in everything. Every every low moment of my life, Donald Trump has been there laughing at me like Nelson from The Simpsons. Yeah. No. Wait. That was against the Astros, right? No, against the Cardinals. The Cardinals. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, much more Trump friendly crowd. <laughs> no, it was it was in Shea. Well, I know, but I'm saying, but Donald Trump was there rooting for the Cardinals. Oh, probably. probably. Yeah. <laughs> he was immediately rooting for whoever won the whole time. Yes. <laughs> I was rooting for St. Louis all nine innings. What are you talking about? Yeah. No one's a bigger St. Louis fan than me. Um, okay. So, Larry, anyways, he says he's in. So, he's back home, and Cheryl is a little bit more skeptical of this investment, but which, honestly, who gives a shit? Like, what, what are you talking yeah. what, what are you doing? So, fine. So, if Larry wants... Again, it's like back to last season. If Larry has, like, some project that's going to keep him busy and out of the house and focused on something other than, like, petty nonsense, who cares? So, like, fine. This costs you $50,000. Like, whatever. You have $400 million. Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming they invested more than fifty. Whatever, yeah, even yeah. if it's five hundred thousand. Like, obviously, to yeah. to any normal person, that's a huge amount of money. But like, this is just whatever. This is Larry's like play money for the year, and maybe it could work out. You never know. Um, she wonders why couldn't they find anyone else else to invest? So maybe they, yeah. I mean, I guess she thinks maybe like they really just need Larry's money. Like they need maybe it's not so easy to raise money. To your point earlier, uh, not everyone wants to put a lot of money into a restaurant since they don't do well. So maybe they just think Larry's a, a big fish who will throw some money their way. Yeah, well, how did Michael York get pulled into this? Yeah, I don't know. Um, anyway, Larry sees it as an opportunity to make money, but more so it's just going to be a fun place to hang out. Uh, you know, we could be there and we'll go table to table. We'll ask the, the patrons how they like the place, how is the food, which I really don't like when they do that at restaurants. Um, so... I don't and yeah, does, does any, do you like that? Like, I don't think that like ads and like that's what you want. That's why you're gonna buy a restaurant so you can harass people while they eat. No, of course not. I don't want to mix my social and my professional. That's a terrible combination. Yeah, agreed. Um, at the restaurant we were at tonight, which again is the first time we've been at a restaurant in like four months, the owner of that restaurant, who is sometimes a little bit of an ornery character, but was extraordinarily friendly today, he stood there six feet away from us with a mask on and chatted with us for like fifteen minutes. Yeah, that's not nice. And, you know, it's like you. This is like your first exactly. opportunity that you've been out in five months. Exactly. I mean, you know, I'm. He was friendly. Yeah. But at a certain well, point, like, I was like, like, no, you want to spend time months. with your wife away from your kids for like the first time in again five months. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Um, yeah. That's yeah. That's not. Uh, I, I guess he's. This is like the first adult he's interacting with in five months, other than his wife. So maybe, maybe that's the yeah. Case. So I guess maybe you should have thrown him a bone. Well, we did. We, we made the mistake of saying, so how's business going or something like that. Uh, and then it was like, oh, boy, you we opened up the floodworks. Yeah. yeah. Never ask how business is going. Yeah. 
Um, so Cheryl's confused by this because uh, she knows Larry famously doesn't like talking to people. He corrects her that he only likes doesn't like talking to people he knows, but he loves talking to strangers, much like yourself. Yes. Um, he tells her that he's excited that he was in par- put in charge of the uniforms. Um, perhaps he can uh, acquire some polyester uniforms. Much like, like Jason Alexander. Yeah. Sure. Um, Larry's also excited that the menu will have sweet potatoes on it. He's saying, you know, you can't get sweet potatoes anywhere, which Cheryl seems to agree with. I don't, that's not true. You can get sweet potatoes. No, up. Cheryl's very sarcastic. Larry says, oh, okay. have you noticed that? And Cheryl sarcastically says, yeah, everyone noticed that. <laughs> oh, okay. I, that's very sarcastic. I, I, the I, I the irony that. is that at this time, in like 2002, uh, and, and, you know, I had just spent a year uh, studying abroad in Israel at the time. Sweet potatoes were like the major obsession of Israeli restaurants at the time. Oh, really? Every Israeli restaurant had like a sweet potato soup and like a sweet potato. Like sweet potatoes were like very in in Israel at the time. So maybe Larry had heard about that and was trying to import it to uh, California. Yeah, I like sweet potatoes a lot more than regular potatoes. Yeah, well, they're sweeter. Yeah, um, but I do like regular fries. Well, I, I like sweet potato fries, but I like regular fries better, but I like real sweet potatoes. Yeah, I generally. generally agree with that whole take. My kids are opposed to the potato overall. Oh, that's because- bad. That's weird. Well, but their reason is even worse. Their reason is because potato sounds like tomato. <laughs> but do they like tomatoes? Well, obviously not. Well, it's not obvious. It's their kids. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, most small children aren't the biggest fans of tomatoes. Well, it doesn't have to logically fall. My kids both love tomatoes. It's weird. They love ah, they love vegetables. It's true. Oh, so then therefore they love potatoes. Um, they like potatoes too. Yeah, but they like tomatoes more. Yeah, but I try to explain to my kids like what the difference is, and I, and then I try and like. When they are enjoying potatoes in certain forms, such as French fries, which they obviously like, I'm like, you see these? These are potatoes. They're like, no, they're not. They're French fries. I'm like, okay, whatever. I give up. Yeah. Kids are not smart. Yes. Um, did you explain to them that they're five and you're 40? <laughs> I'm not 40. Whatever. I am old, but I'm not that I old. rounded. Yeah. Uh, it was your birthday this week, right? Yeah, it was your birthday as well. The week before, yeah. Happy birthday to yeah. us. So we're both old. Happy birthday, yes. Um, okay. So I, I enjoy recording a podcast with someone who's older than me. Yeah, because I usually have to record one with someone who's much younger than me. Right, uh, much younger. Yes, the level of maturity here is just is much. much <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're just a little bit ahead. Yeah, um, thirty-two fans will be up to this in like four months from now. Yeah, something like that. Um, okay, so uh, he tells her yes. uh, three, three months and eleven. Days. Three months and eleven days. Okay, so that's uh, the three months plus the number of days I went to Israel. Um, so he uh, tells her about his idea for the bells. She wonders how that went over. He thinks it actually went over pretty okay. Um, she asks if he is wearing a new shirt, and he explains that, actually, yes. I went to Caruso's to get the shirt for the picture, and I've been getting, getting compliments all day about it, in fact. Even Ted said it, he thought it was, good. it was a nice shirt. It's very strange to me, by the way, why everyone's commenting on this shirt. Um, it's very nondescript. I don't. I think it's a. I think it's descript, because um, it's, it's like because it's, it's just. You know what? You know what? It almost reminds me of actually when Jerry dates the girl with the same outfits over and over. Yeah, it's like it's in that it's black, the black and, and white. white. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. yeah, I mean that that's like a nicer one than this. I think. Um, you may also be recognizing it from an episode of The Sopranos where Tony Soprano wears this, wears this shirt. He wears this exact shirt. Uh, that's what the internet tells me once again. Oh well, maybe Tony was watching Curb and he's like, "That's not a shirt." Yeah, or vice versa. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, th- I think it's a I think it's a shirt you would notice. Um, I don't particularly happen to like it, but I think it's not a standard shirt because it, I think the two colors does like is jarring. Yeah, I don't know. Except when it's brought up in the conversation. Have you ever noticed anything Larry's wearing? 
No, but I think but, of course, but I think when, that is something Larry you would notice. That's like, like normally when Larry tucks in his polo shirt, everybody notices. Oh, you're playing golf, right? So yeah, I mean, this is a world where everyone notices things. Yes. Um. So uh, Cheryl says Barbara called to say that the frame is going to be ready next week. Larry gives himself a pat on the back. He says, "You know, you see, it was a good thing I actually said something." Uh, Cheryl says the dent- his dentist, Doctor Bloor, wants them to come over for dinner on Saturday. Larry is very confused by this. Cheryl is now even more confused because she just assumed that if this guy called out of the blue, Larry must know what this is about. But yeah. turns out, no. Larry wonders, what are we going to talk about at this dinner party? Are we going to talk about teeth? He doesn't like the idea of mixing social and professional with this one exception of Jeff and uh, doctor, that doctor and lawyer friend that he had that was a married couple and, and everybody in basically every episode that he interacts with professionally who also happen to be his friends. Yeah, but Av, do you mix social and professional? Um, my dentist is one of our neighbors. Okay. Um, I soon need to get uh, my teeth pulled out by a mutual friend of ours who is a uh, orthopedic surgeon, and he is the type that would be up to hijinks in general. Although I think he tries to not mix that into his dental practice for you know like malpractice reasons. Are you gonna have gas when uh, he pulls your teeth? Um, I'm going to do whatever is going to make me be the least painful. So, like, I'm willing okay, to do... Well, just take note of whether your shirt is tucked or yeah. untucked uh, before you... Honestly, I don't even care about that. I just, like, don't want him to leave, like, his initials, in, like, stitched into my gums or something like that. Oh, but, but if he's sexually harassing you, you're fine with that. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to know. <laughs> but you'll be used goods. Whatever. But, no, I just don't... I don't want something that then I'm going to feel like, oh, I have, like, if I, every time I look in the mirror, it's going to say his initials in, like, under, like, in my chin. That'd be very funny, though. Yeah, I guess. Uh, it's like almost like giving somebody... I mean, intent- funny, funnier for him than for you. Yeah, no, I wouldn't enjoy it. It's like having giant teeth. Um, yeah, so... Um, Larry says... He's going to just call and say, you know what, we're out of town. Um, because, you know, then it's going to be a whole thing. We're going to have to invite them back to us, or else there's going to be tension And next time I see him. But anyway, either way, this is like now no good. I need a new dentist. Uh, this one's now ruined. And he walks upstairs, lamenting, why does everyone have to get together? The whole world has got to get together with everyone. Why can't everyone just, you know, stay in their lanes? Well ahead of his time with social distancing. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is kind of like a like relationship George, independent George, like worlds colliding. Similar, similar yeah. thought. Similar theme. Except that, again, Larry normally does that all the time. Yeah. Um, okay, so we're at Caruso's, the clothing store, and Jeff and Larry are looking through the racks. Larry picks out a pretty plain gray polo shirt. Jeff doesn't like it, wonders if Larry just wants the waiters to dress like he does. Larry seems to think that's fine. Um, next, he suggests an orange checkered shirt, which Larry likes because it'll match the tablecloth. <laughs> that's like an interesting thing to do. Jeff is <laughs> Jeff disagrees. Yeah. Jeff is correct. Also, I don't think this is the kind of restaurant that's going to have those types of tablecloths. Yeah, they're going to have like a plain solid color, probably either white or black, because yeah. <laughs> that's generally what restaurants use. Larry uh, wants to go buy two more of Chet's shirt, one for Ted and another one for himself. He asks the salesman to go get it, and then he spots a woman in some sort of military shirt. He thinks maybe that could be a good theme. We could create a sort of mess hall vibe in the restaurant. Yeah. Um, Jeff, once again, thinks this is a terrible idea. <laughs> yeah, well... So Jeff says to Larry, have you eaten in a, in a mess hall before? And Larry says, yes, he was in the military, but it wasn't an officer's mess hall. And I want to know, 
under what circumstances did Larry David come to eat in a mess hall? Like his claim that he was in the military years ago. And he's like, but never mind that. It's like, no, I do mind that. Like, I want to discuss that further because that's obviously a lie. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe he was in the French Foreign Legion. Yeah, um, I really question Larry. By the way, I do like the look of epaulets, though. I have epaulets on like a, a, not on a shirt, but on a couple sweaters. I think it's a good look. Um, I would say it would have been good if we had started uh, doing this from the beginning. But if it would, be, it would be fun to like track Larry's biography of like his different like jobs and stuff based on things he said. Like we know from last week, he claims he was a limo driver, and now this yeah. week, no, he but says that, he was that's real life. Larry David was a limo driver. Uh, okay, so th- that that one I believe. Yeah, well, let's see. We want to figure out what's uh, what's canon. Yeah, and he he was a limo driver for a blind woman. Oh, really? Does it, doesn't he mention this on either Curb or, or Seinfeld? Somebody? Maybe I don't remember. He, he he was a limo driver for a blind woman, so he could dress as slovenly as he wanted because oh, they excellent. would know. Right. Yeah. Very nice. Um. By the way, Larry, do you? What's your take on having two of the same shirt? I'm cool with it. I have. I have. I definitely have a bunch of the same pants. Well, but doesn't it creates the awkward situation where you're wearing the second one shortly after the first, and then people are going to think that you're rewearing your shirt? Yeah, I don't care about that though. Yeah, I mean that's fine. And by the way, that's what Larry does here. He uh, wears the shirt nonstop immediately ha- after having purchased it. <laughs> yes, constantly. Yeah. He wears it basically every scene where it's available to him. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I I don't know if I specifically have two of the same shirt right now. Yeah, I probably do because I've probably bought the same shirt in different sizes because I sometimes go up and down. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's fine. Um, so all of a sudden a man comes over he introduces himself as name, a man named Burt Bondi he says he recognizes Larry from somewhere he wonders maybe it's from a spin class at the gym which Larry <laughs> obviously laughs off as impossible yes. um, Burt then says very inappropriately maybe oh do I know you from AA Larry yeah. says I wish since it seems like it's a nice place to hang out um, except for the second A Burt Bondi come on mm, true He's violating, he's violating the uh, the number one rule. Yeah, A A B B, L D. Um, he uh, so he's like, oh, so what? What's your name, by the way? He says, my name is Larry David. He says, oh, I know where I know you from. We met in the waiting room of our <laughs> dentist, Doctor Bloor. Yeah. Um, Larry did claim he likes to talk to strangers, so he's only himself to blame. <laughs> yeah. To which Larry says, oh yeah, I don't go there anymore. Yeah. <laughs> As of twenty minutes ago. Yeah. Um. Bert says, well, actually, I still do, and I'm going to say hello. And Larry says, oh, well, actually, please don't do that. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of a trite thing to say to somebody. Um, and Bert says, okay, but mm, I think he might still say hello. I mean, it's better than telling uh, Dr. Bloor that uh, I hear you and Larry are hot and heavy. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, unsolicited greetings are, are never called for. Yeah. Um, as he walks away, Larry fills Jeff in on the fact that the dentist has, uh, in question, has invited him over for dinner, but he told him he's out of town. Yeah. And... By the way, my favorite thing that Bert Bodney says to Larry is, oh, you're, you're very high level. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, salesman, uh, the salesman comes over with the two shirts and uh, all is good. Larry has two additional shirts, one for himself, yes. one for Ted. That makes three wearable shirts in total. Yes, let's count. Let's keep a running count of how many wearable uh, black and white shirts there are at any moment. Um, so we're back over at the restaurant. Larry shows them the military shirt. Um, he says he thinks has a little French thing going on. York says maybe the French Foreign Legion, but no, we're not doing that. Everyone agrees it's horrible. Um, Jeff shows his idea. It's a pretty standard blue button-down shirt with a black vest. Everyone agrees this looks normal and good, so let's go with that. Yeah. 
Um, oh, so I don't love the vest look. Yeah, I'm not a sure. huge fan of it either, but whatever. whatever it's fine. Um, it's much better than Larry's idea. Yeah. Larry gives Ted the shirt as a gift. Um, as they're looking at the gift, they notice that there's a small rip in the back of the shirt. Yeah. Um, this is a very, very uh, similar to the uh, the stain on the uh, the sweater. Yeah, but but George intentionally gifted yeah, yeah. someone a sweater with a spot. Yeah, right. Larry does it accidentally. Yeah, but you know, but, yeah, but, but he like Larry David likes Ted to is... explore the ethics of damaged yes. gifts. But but clearly Ted is in the right here. Um, yes, I believe Ted is in the right. So what's interesting about the fight that Larry and and uh, Ted have throughout this episode back and forth is that I think they both at different points are right and wrong. And it's interesting to see how it like kind of volleys That's back true. and forth. Like it kind of escalates and they each become increasingly unreasonable. Yeah. Um, and it's just like fun to see. Like there's points where like you're like, no, Ted's being the asshole now. And then there's times where Larry's being the asshole. But, but here, like for Larry to impose on Ted an assignment is absurd. Uh, yeah, this is like a booby prize. Um, yeah. Like I, white elephant. Yeah, the I uh, I've I've often joked that like sometimes you go to a baseball game and they'll give out a prize for like your kid is on the big screen and they like play a video game and they hit a home run and then they give them like that video game as a prize and you're like fuck now I have to go buy PlayStation Four or whatever thing this is on because yeah. now my kid is gonna want to play this when we get home. Yeah, well, so like what the expression white elephant comes from the same idea, which is that in India I think you would give someone a white elephant if you hated them because it's a very expensive animal to maintain. Ah, good stick. <laughs> I won, I won, I don't know if I've probably told this on a podcast, I won in eighth grade a, a goldfish in, in a, I didn't realize goldfish cost like 50 cents. And my goldfish turned out that he needed to live in a filtered water. And so I had to uh, buy like gallons of water from Costco and like change the stupid fish's water every few minutes. And so I must have spent over $100 on a fish that died in two weeks. Yeah, well you should have just let it die immediately instead. Yes. Um, yeah, your mistake. Um, anyway, so yeah, so Larry's like, oh, well, you know, no big deal. You'll just take it back and ask them to fix it. Terry sa- Ted says, well, actually, maybe you should do that since I don't even know where the store is. Larry's like, well, you know, I gave this to you as a gift. Ted says, it's not a gift. This is a defective shirt, and a gift isn't supposed to be an errand. Larry, Larry's position is, no, the gift recipient should just be thankful that he's received a gift and accept the gift as is, subject to fixing it up if you so choose. Um, Ted says, maybe I'll give you a gift that you have to go pick up in Seattle. Um, hopefully not in the chop zone. That would be particularly hard to, uh, to get. Um, Larry thinks this is a bad comparison. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a little bit much, but it's the same idea. Um, Ted says he appreciates the gesture, the gesture, but you know what? Just forget about it. Larry says, fine, I'll keep the shirt. Uh, Ted blames Larry for taking a nice thought and ruining it. Larry says, actually, you are the one who has done that. Yep. And I'm on at this point I'm on Ted's side. Yeah, Ted is Ted is definitely right here. Um so Larry's wearing the shirt and Cheryl accuses him of taunting Ted by wearing the shirt. Larry says, <laughs> No, I actually He's wearing just, the shirt at, at Ted's house for his yeah. daughter's birthday. Um, actually I just really like wearing this shirt. Um and I wasn't <laughs> thinking of Ted at all, which I think we can say is probably right. He seems to be really into wearing the shirt. And he also is very into not thinking about other people's feelings. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so Ted and Jill come over. They say happy birthday. Ted says, actually, there's been a change of plans. Now Jeff is going to be the lion. And Larry's going to be the Tin Man. Larry yeah. objects. He has no connection to the Tin Man. He accuses Ted of changing his part because of the shirt. Ted says, that's silly. Larry says, I'm not doing Tin Man. Ted says, all right, fine. We'll find someone else to do it. Which now, Larry- what's your take? Did, did Ted switch him because he saw the shirt? Uh, probably. Because <laughs> that, that's a rather insane accusation, I think. I mean, but you're, you're buying it or he's no, not because he saw him wearing the shirt. He's just still pissed at Larry about the shirt. 
Yeah. Okay. So maybe this triggered it. It's like I don't think it's yeah. specifically that like he thought Lowry was putting a finger in his eye, but yeah. just like the whole general shirt situation is still on his mind, and he's annoyed at Lowry. Now he wants to like fuck him over, and maybe seeing him in the shirt was like the last thing he needed to be like. You know what? I'm doing it. Yeah. By the way, I'm surprised that Ted Danson doesn't have like a Profet- like yeah. actors playing the roles. Yeah, I agree. That he needs to like you know hoard up his buddies. Yeah, we like we did this for like several of our kids' birthday parties. It's like two hundred dollars. Like it's not a big deal. Yeah, I assume Ted Danson. Well, I mean, your all all your money isn't tied up in Bobo's restaurant. So. <laughs> right, that's true. And, and a potential film in, in Australia. Yeah. So uh, by the way, Jeff and uh, excuse me, Larry and Cheryl have not seen Ted and Mary since season one, as far as we know. Uh, yeah, but, now, but I guess we could assume they're they're still friends in the background. They're just not just friends, but they're like their closest friends. That like you know, yeah. uh, Larry and Cheryl are going to play fifty percent of the the, the the members of this uh, performance. Yeah, you know, it could happen. Yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah, maybe you know, Mary was in Australia and Ted was somewhere for six months. Um, okay, so. Um, yeah, so Ted says, you know what, Larry, if you overplayed your hand, I'm going to go find someone else. He walks away. Larry calls him in A-S-S-H-O-L-E because he sees Jill is there. Uh, that yeah. still gets him trouble with both Cheryl and Jeff. Uh, he claims it's okay. She's only five and doesn't know how to spell. Yeah. Um, now, you know, I, I think it's, it's kind of on the border. I mean, if, for example, this had been Lane Michelson's daughter who was in the school for the gifted, mm-hmm. you should assume she knows how to spell. But like a, a standard five-year-old, I would think you're probably pretty safe here. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, so I actually tried this in front of my five-year-old. Okay. With that exact word. Uh, fortunately, my wife was not around to chastise me. And he, he spelled, I mean, he, he didn't pronounce it correctly. He said an, an ash hole. Oh, okay. But uh, he did spell it. All right. But, but here's my issue. It's not just a random kid. It's Ted's own daughter. So it just seems like an unnecessary risk. Yeah. Also, by the way, there's zero percent chance that a five year old at a party with her five year old friends is going to spend any time hanging out with the adults. <laughs> so, to the extent her dad pulls her over to say hi to these tangential friends of his, and that's another question, by the way, do, do you invite like friends of yours who are like not that close acquaintances you see every couple of years? Do you invite them to your daughter's five year old birthday party? I'm not sure, but anyways, the second Ted leaves, his daughter's running away. She's not hanging around just to see in case Larry's going to like you know snitch on him. Right. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, but but we will see uh, over the seasons that Larry David takes risks with uh, other people's children. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I took a risk. So um, and then Larry re- reiterates once again that he's not going to do the Tin Man. Yes. Um, we now move on to what is very clearly the best part of the episode, if not the best scene in the history of Curb so far. Um, we have the Wizard of Oz characters helping Jill trying to uh, bust some sort of like. Wizard of Oz, balloon slash pinata. I don't think I've ever seen this exact combination before. Um, and the Tin Man is trying to like pull the pinata away as the as Jill tries to hit it. So I don't know if you've ever seen that that party game. Yeah, I was a little confused. Um, but whatever. Um, I guess yeah. So this is not a party game I'm familiar with, but I guess it's this is the only way that I guess it could no. I think the what happens could have just worked with a regular pinata still. Yeah, um, I think five-year-olds, while they may be able to spell, they're a little too young to be uh, using a pinata, I think. Yeah. Um, would, would, you, would you give your five-year-old a baseball bat and say, hey, go swing the shit out of it at this thing? Um, no, probably, it's probably not a good idea. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so she tries, but the Tin Man is too good. Um, uh, I think I have boys and you have girls, so maybe that's Yeah, that could be the difference. Um, we hear in the background people singing, or it's maybe it's just the audio of the 
the song in the merry old land of Allah Oz, and a couple of tralalas. That's how we laugh the day away in the merry old land of Oz. Larry asks Jeff, uh, "Can I see your lion character voice?" But Jeff says, "Actually, I don't do a lion voice. Talk me out of it." Larry is aghast. Then how can you say that you play the lion when you don't even do a lion voice? Jeff says, look at me, I am the lion. I don't have to do the voice. Cheryl very obviously takes Jeff's side. Actually, it's just fine. He's doing a good job. Everyone's having a lot of fun. Did you see us coming down the yellow brick road? Um, Yeah, Larry obviously is insane. Uh, The children don't care how (laughs) how on point your lion impression is. They're just seeing a jolly large man in a lion costume and everyone's having a good time. Yeah. Uh, how badly do you wish you had been invited to this party? This uh, this is like a dream party. This is like if somebody wants to make me an awesome party, they should make me this party. So a Wizard of Oz theme party with Larry David as a guest. Yeah, I mean, I would love if Larry David would attend my party. Okay, but he's not going to be the Tin Man, so just warning. Larry David can come however he wants if he's going to attend my party. Um. So anyway, Larry uh, starts to retreat back towards the pinata game, and the little girl is swinging and nails him in the face, and Larry immediately blames her as if he assumes this was done on purpose. (laughs) (laughs) And Larry suffers a series of increasingly devastating consequences here. Um, Number one, he's gushing blood everywhere. Number two, he seems to have some teeth knocked out. Number three, some blood has gotten on the shirt. But worst (laughs) of all... He needs to see a dentist. It's Sunday, and he's going to have to go to Dr. Bloor. Yeah. Um, so we're at the dentist, and Larry is but, getting some work done. By the way, I, I, do, I do love the idea that this girl did it on purpose. You know, because <laughs> there's nothing five-year-olds do more than listen to the subtle, you know, conflicts that their parents have with their friends. <laughs> and then try to settle them. to take it into their own hands. Yeah, uh, yeah that would be something. Um, so he's getting worked on. By That's the, the part I find impossible. Like a five-year-old can hear the the letters and 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 spell the word, pronounce the word, but no five. I mean, I hope your five-year-old doesn't know what the word asshole. Yeah, means. he's definitely not putting together like you insulted my father, and I'm going to yeah. go exact vengeance on you. Well, but they do know that when you spell, like that, you don't want to intend for them to hear. So they're very careful to listen. In fact, it's the only time I can shut the hell up is when I'm trying to spell <laughs> something to my wife yeah. or speak in a foreign language. Yeah. Um, so uh, the dentist is going to work on his mouth, but Larry seems to be in some pain. He asks for more Novocaine, but the dentist insists, don't worry, it'll kick in any minute. Um, By the way, the dentist, uh, Dr. Bloor, is a, is a, is a well-known that guy. He, uh, oh, the really? actor's name is David Paschese. I don't know how to pronounce it, but he plays uh, Andrew Meyer, the second, hus- uh, the second husband on Veep. Oh, okay. He uh, plays a psychiatrist in Groundhog Day. I only know that because I just saw that pretty recently. Cool. Okay. Yeah, so did you recognize him or not? Not at all, no. I didn't even look him up because I need to recognize. Were you a beep guy? Uh, yeah. Okay, so he plays Selena's husband. Yeah. No, I see. I see it now. I just didn't. It didn't occur to me. Yeah. Um. All right. Cool. Um. I wonder if this is how he met Julia. uh, Julia originally. That could be. That could certainly be. So Larry uh, thanks him for helping him out. He knows dentists don't like working on Sundays because it's a sacred day. It's like Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Um, Actually, Larry, like every person, regardless of their job, doesn't like working on Sunday. Uh, You would know that if you ever had a normal job. Yeah. Um, So uh, Dr. Bloor brings up, by the way, we missed you last Saturday. Larry apologizes. He explains he was out of town in Sonoma. And here is where Larry... He first of all, I mean, to, to his credit, he spins an incredible yarn here. But, but why is it to his credit? Like, well, but to his discredit, this is yeah. a clinic on how not to lie. 
Yeah, like he's digging a deep hole with this pear lie. This is the age of the internet. And he knows this. He was just on the other side with the cop salad. Yeah. Um, although, I mean, as it turns out, it didn't matter here. But yeah, this is just bad lying. Yeah. This is bad, bad practice. A bad practice run yeah, for him. The tremendous detail that, that Dr. Bloor is not even asking for. Yes. Uh, yeah. So he, By the uh, way, talking about this tremendously detailed lies, uh, we have a mutual friend, Noam, who was just telling me about the solarium at his, uh, at his house uh, this week. I don't know. It reminded me of when George had two solariums in his house in the Hamptons. Oh, I don't. I don't know about the solarium. Uh, Well, so basically, Noam was saying that his building has. He lives in an apartment building in New York City, and they sent instructions about how they're beginning to loosen the restrictions on the building. You're now permitted to visit the solarium for 45 minutes as long as you're healthy and wearing a mask and six feet away from everyone. And Noam said, "I didn't even know I had a solarium. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, there's a solarium in the building that I had never uh, frequented, and now I can only do so for 45 minutes. What a tragedy." Yeah, that's quite a pleasant surprise on, many, on multiple yeah. accounts. Yes. Um, so he uh, he also discovered that he has a, a horse named Prickly Pete. Ah, very good. Um, so he explains, you know, I was out of town in Sonoma where my cousin has a pear farm. Uh, Dr. Bloor, of course, starts to probe this a little bit. He's acting as if he's interested. Um, we learned that this orchard actually specializes in Bartlett pears. And Larry bemoans the fact that while pears are delicious, it can be a bit much to eat pear after pear all weekend long. <laughs> um, Larry's really digging in. He proclaims, of course, we would have rather came to you. But of course, you know, family. Um, Larry's now decides to really start volunteering complete made-up bullshit for no reason. Uh, says, actually, we visited the actual cabin where Bob Bartlett lived. He... <laughs> being the Bartlett for whom the Bartlett pair is named. And yes, that happened right here in Sonoma in the 20th century. And actually, if you must know, even though you didn't ask, he still has family living there right now, and they're very nice, and they make, they've actually been making a really good living off the pairs for these last hundred years now. And actually, it's kind of like a situation where the Bartlett's really run the town. Yeah. Uh, by the way, the, uh, the the Bartlett pair is actually more well known as the Williams pair. Yeah, so I uh, I did some research. Oh, on you this. also looked this yes, up. Yes, okay. So uh, you can, <laughs> I guess you can get into it. Well, I'm just going to read the Wikipedia page. The origins of the variety are uncertain. Bon Chrétien, a good Christian, is named after the Francis of Paola, a holy man whom King Louis XI of France had called to his deathbed as a healer in 1483. Francis offered the king a pear seed from his native Calabria with instructions to plant and care. Hence, the pear tree was called Good Christian, or Bon Chrétien. Uh, the Williams pear is thought to date from 17... Wait, this is 300 years later. What? The Williams pear is thought to date from 1765 to 1770 from the yard of an Aldermaston, England, schoolmaster named Mr. John Stair, giving rise to the now obscure synonyms Aldermaston pear and Stairs pear. Yes, I've always wondered why the Aldermaston pear and the Stairs pear are synonymous. <laughs> A nurseryman named Williams later acquired the variety, and after introducing it to the rest of England, the pair became known as the Williams pair. However, the pair's full name is Williams Bon Chrétien or Williams Good Christian. Wait, when does Bartlett come into the picture? In 1799, James Carter imported several Williams trees to the United States, and they were planted on the grounds of Thomas Brewer in Roxbury, Massachusetts. Uh, so why, you might ask, is it not called the Brewer pair? <laughs> the Massachusetts estate was later acquired by Enoch Bartlett of Dorchester, Massachusetts. Unaware of their origin, Bartlett named the pears after himself and introduced the variety into the United States, so he tried to pull a Cobb salad on, on the pear, basically. Yeah. It was not realized that Bartlett and Williams pear were the same until 1828 when new trees arrived from Europe. By that time, the Bartlett variety had become vastly popular in the United States, and they're still generally known as Bartlett pears in the U.S. and Canada, although there are about 150 synonyms worldwide. So this Bartlett really just, uh, he's a, uh, he's a uh, 
what, what do they call it? It's a stolen valor. Yeah, I mean, this sounds like the type of thing Larry David would do. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah, so from now on, I, I will call it a Williams pair. I will never call it a Bartlett pair in my house ever again. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, so obviously, uh, as we'll see, this guy knows a little bit about pairs. So he, he can tell Larry's story is off by hundreds of years and yes. thousands of miles. <laughs> I mean, it's his bad luck that he found, of all the dentists in California, the one who's also an expert on pears. A pomologist. Yes. Oh, is that what it's called for real? Yeah. Uh, is that all fruits or pears? Fruits. Oh, okay, fine. But he, but not just the pomologist, but one who also specialized. <laughs> yeah, he seems to specialize yes. in pears, yes. yes. <laughs> he, they, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he did his, uh, I think most dental schools actually, yes, have a required uh, course. Yeah, no, he, uh, he did a, uh, he got like his doctorate in fruit, but then he did like a fellowship in pears. Yes. <laughs> And then he like interned as a dentist on, yeah. on the weekends. Uh, so uh, the, the doctor uh, he interjects. He says, "Oh, you, the Bartley we're talking about that's the green pair, right?" Larry says, "No, actually, it's a brown pair." <laughs> um, so technically, um, there is both a red and green Bartlett pair, but like ninety percent of the ones that you would see in an American supermarket would be green. Um, Larry says, oh, well, you know, maybe it's that it starts out green and then it turns brown, <laughs> as it, I guess, as it gets spoiled. And that's why we're confused about that's what you're you think when you're seeing a brown pair, you're seeing a spoiled pair. Yes. Now, to be fair to Larry, uh, I do see that one of the offspring of the Williams pair is the is the uh, Griggs Comis Max Red Bartlett pair, uh, which comes from California in 1974. So perhaps this is the one to which he's referring. Yes, that could be. Maybe he thought Max Red Bartlett was a real guy. Or maybe there's some like curb lunatic who started like growing that pair to make it yeah. that Larry would be right in this episode. Oh, I see. Retroactively. Yeah. Um, a lot of pair talk on today's podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so the doctor's like, actually, I think the brown one is the Bosque pair. Um, yes. Once again, showing himself to be quite a bit of an expert. Um, Tremendous. The, uh, the Bosque pair, yes, is like that cinnamony brown color. Yes. Uh, Larry takes a stand. He's like, no, I know a thing or two about pears, and it's the Bartlett that's brown. Yeah. <laughs> um, Dr. Bloor. By the um, way, the Bosque is called the aristocrat of pears. Yeah, Dr. Bloor then, uh, he shifts the conversation where everybody but Larry, it seems, knows <laughs> this conversation is heading. Um, Bert Bondi was in this week. Yes. Um, Larry plays dumb. Burt Bondi? Who's that? I don't know. Um, he says, really? You don't know who Burt Bondi is? Um, which, to be fair, he really doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the doctor, the dentist is not buying it. And he says, all right, I think we're ready to get to work. Um, the implication being some sort of revenge is going to be played out here. So we head back home, and Cheryl is watching The Wizard of Oz. Uh, of course, we're seeing the very first scene of the movie, Dorothy Gale with Toto, wondering if, uh, did she hurt you? Let's go tell Uncle Henry and Auntie M. Larry walks in. Cheryl asks how it went. Seems he has put in some sort of giant temporary teeth. They look awful, obviously. Um, Larry is pretty much sure that the dentist did this on purpose as revenge for the whole Bondi situation. Um... Cheryl tries to calm him down. You know, it's only temporaries. Larry's like, yeah, but I don't think they're supposed to look like chiclets. Uh, which, which Cheryl says, actually, I, this is pretty much how they're supposed to look. Yeah, they look kind of stupid. But Larry, Larry says, no, I would know better than you. Um, is it because, like, he's older? Is this like, I don't doesn't I didn't know what his argument really was there. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, Cheryl just, uh, seems to think that she's just as aware of what temporaries are supposed to look like as Larry would be. Yeah. Um, 
So Cheryl points Larry over the TV. We see Darcy's uh, ribbing Zeke for being just as scared of her as she was. Um, as we know, Zeke is the uh, parallel real-life version of the lion. Um, Cheryl points out that, you know, if you had just not been an asshole and done the Tin Man, none of this would have happened. Larry says, you know, I still kind of think maybe Jill did it on purpose, to which Cheryl, who's really just like fed up with Larry at this point, says, well, you know what, maybe, but maybe you shouldn't have called her father an asshole then. (laughs) Um, Larry acknowledges, well, you know, the only thing I really am upset about is the shirt, but at least I have two mare upstairs because I have my extra, plus now I have Ted's extra. Um, Cheryl kind of laughs in his face about this whole thing, and he gets angry for a second. You know, this is actually serious. I got hit in the face. But he doesn't seem to be taking that part very seriously, so I don't know why he expects her to. Um, So the doorbell rings, and Cheryl assumes it's Barbara coming over with a frame, but turns out it's Ted, and he's here to apologize. Um, He makes note of how big the temporaries are, apologizes again. Larry says, can I offer you a piece of advice? Forget the piñata parties, okay? It's a dangerous game. You could see what could happen. You got kids swinging baseball bats around it. Even if the candy comes down, then you got vultures coming in and getting candy, stuffing in their pocket, killing each other to get the candy. It's a crazy game. It's dangerous. I don't know how the Spaniards do it. How long have they been doing this piñata? Now, one Spanish person has figured out the piñata is a sick fucking game? <laughs> Can't put anything past those Spaniards. Yeah, I kind of feel this way about the uh, the practice of throwing candy bags in shul. Yeah. But, like, at some point, this is going to end badly. Yeah, so just to explain... Uh, to uh, 98% of our listeners. In in Jewish services, often in synagogue, uh, both for a groom on the Saturday before his wedding and then also for bar and bat mitzvah children, it's become common as well for for 12 and 13-year-old boys and girls. Once once this person is called to the Torah, to read from the Torah, then to celebrate, uh, people throw uh, little bags of candy uh, at them. And yes, it's just an opportunity for people to use the excuse of, of candy flying around the synagogue to throw candy at their friends around the around the you know around the building wherever they want. Uh, it's a, it's an opportunity for children to run to collect the candy and to in every single circumstance that I've ever seen my children come back crying, either because they got hurt or they didn't get enough candy or both. Um, it's really a lose lose. <laughs> yeah, it's you a- always have one guy who thinks it's a funny joke to put like a hard hat on to protect himself. Right. Everybody's familiar with the, yeah. the the same bad jokes in synagogue. Yeah, and then like you you target the same guy trying to hit him in the head over and over. Yeah, uh, and, and look in this era, obviously there's there's no more ofrofs as they're called, no more candy. Yeah, crying. no, there's no nothing. Yeah, um, yeah. So uh, Ted reassures Larry, you know, of course she'll didn't do this on purpose. She feels really bad, but also you probably shouldn't call her an asshole in front of her. Be an asshole in front of her. Yeah. Um, turns out, Fair yes, five year olds could spell asshole. Yeah. Ted says, anyway, I really feel bad about the whole shirt thing. You were right. Thank you. I'd love to take the shirt. I'll take care of getting it to the store to, to exchange it. Um, Larry says, actually, they don't have any left. And pretty much now I'm thinking I'm going to keep it because, as you can see, mine is ruined. And so I would like the shirt. Yeah. Ted is pretty surprised. My shirt? The one you gave me? Larry says, no, my shirt. The one you gave back to me. Um, and it's at this point that I think now I'm, I, I shift over to Larry's side. Where Ted says, you know, I only gave it back to you because you were being an asshole when you gave it to me. To which Larry yeah. says, well, I was only being an asshole because you were an asshole first. Yeah, there's I'm... no conditional givebacks. No, you're right. Larry's Yeah, right once here. you give it back, like, now it's Larry's. Like, you, you, yeah. you rejected the gift. You have no claim to it unless Larry decides to give it back to you again. Um, but of course, who always comes to the rescue to screw over her husband? Cheryl, yes, pro- as I was going to say, the hero, of the, the hero of the story. Jumps yeah. in, as any rational person would if they were watching The Wizard of Oz and two idiots were having a petty fight about a stupid shirt. 
and ask wait, them. Wait, hold on. You think Cheryl did the right thing here? Yeah, she's watching The Wizard of Oz. Leave her alone. But no, she what? shouldn't. But she shouldn't get involved. She knows Larry hasn't forgotten about the extra shirt, which he just mentioned. She knows that if he's not giving it, it's for a reason. Oh no, he's Why is she she, openly screwing her husband. No, she's over? definitely screwing him over. Yeah, because he thinks because she, she thinks does. he's being an asshole. Okay, well he's your asshole. You got, you, you're gonna. I mean, I don't think it's right for a spouse to side with with some random so, guest who comes over. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I think Larry is right, but he is also being an asshole. Like meaning. Yeah, well, like she's know, like she's coming. I'm being like wrong. she's like Larry. Asshole, are you being Walter. ridiculous? Like you bought him the shirt. Like whatever. You had some stupid yeah. fight about the shirt, but now he's here. He wants the shirt. Like give him the shirt that you planned to buy for him. Yeah. Um. But yeah. Um, next time your wife is having a fight with one of her friends, chime in and say. Oh well, no, obviously you wouldn't right. do that. <laughs> yeah. Um. So anyway, um, she says, you know, Larry, go upstairs, get one of the shirts, give one to Ted. Now you each have one, and then she throws out a little high Ted at the end, as if to say. We should date one day. Um, Seeds have been planted. Ted is very surprised and not pleased to learn that Larry actually had two. And Larry hangs his head in shame and heads up the stairs to go get the shirt. Or actually shirts, as we will see. Um, Larry comes back down and with both shirts. Oh, can I ask a separate question? Why at this point in the evening, several hours, presumably after the birthday party that morning, was Larry still wearing the bloody shirt? <laughs> well, he, went, he just went to the dentist, and then he just got back from the dentist, like five minutes ago. Oh, so he has a time to change. Okay. Yeah, he just went straight to the dentist wearing the shirt. What's the difference? And then you get home, and you take off the bloody shirt. Well, he like, literally just, we saw him like walk in the door, and then yeah. the doorbell rang, and it was Todd. Yeah, okay. I think it's okay. I think it holds up. It, it doesn't usually, but I think in this instance, yeah. they actually, uh, there's continuity with Chet's okay. shirt here. Um, so he comes back but down. Did Cheryl, did Cheryl not accompany him to the dentist? Obviously not. Um, yeah, pretty no. bad wife. Yeah, I guess you're, maybe you're at a party with your spouse. Your spouse gets smashed in the face, has to have like you know emergency Sunday uh, dental work, and you're like, yeah, I'm going home to watch The Wizard of Oz. I'll see you later. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess it depends. I don't know. I could see either way in a situation like that. Like it's it's like you're fine. You just need some dental work. I guess like well, you probably need came, someone to drive you home. They is the came truth. to the party together. Yeah, you and you're gonna home. need someone to drive you home when you probably had like that much yeah. Novocaine or whatever. You're probably gonna be drowsy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, fine. No good by Cheryl. Yeah, worst person. Um, okay, so, um, yeah, so Larry comes back down with both shirts. One of which he's wearing, because obviously he can't even go a moment without wearing the shirt. Uh, the other one he's holding for Ted. He puts it down. Ted and Cheryl are on the couch watching Judy Garland sing Somewhere Over the Rainbow. The doorbell rings, and they assume, okay, this time it must be Barbara. Ted asks Larry, so are you in for the restaurant investment? Larry says, yep, same as you. Uh, Larry wonders if that's a problem. Ted says, nope. Not a problem at all, but they're kind of eyeing each other. Yeah. Um, indeed, it is Barbara this time. She has the frame. He, she apologizes. It took so long, but you know, chat. Um, Cheryl invites her in, in on to watch The Wizard of Oz with them, and we hear Julie Garland wrapping up somewhere over the rainbow, and Barbara starts sobbing because Chet loved Wizard of Oz, and this is her favorite song, and they used to always watch it together. Um, and now that I think about it, Chet sounds great. And honestly, I kind of get why she can't get over him. Yeah. Um, she sees Larry wearing Chet's shirt. Um, all of a sudden, we hear the Wicked Witches of the West score hit up, and she collapses in agony. This is too much to bear. Larry and Ted realize the shirt that Larry's wearing is now ruined from her tears or and her makeup. And they look By over. By the way, I have to assume a makeup stain is not something that can't be cleaned. Like, such that Larry needs to wrestle Ted to the ground for the backup. Um, yeah, I feel like those could probably stain on that kind of white shirt pretty badly. 
Yeah, I mean, whatever. We'll find out next season. We'll some <laughs> dry cleaners. Yeah. Um, they look over at the last remaining shirt on the table, and they race towards it and tackle each other, getting into a fight. They rip it in half. Um, which again, now I, I I think like Ted is I think Ted is in the wrong. I think that it's like yeah. if there's one shirt left, it should be Larry's. Yeah. Um, well, but okay, so so now now we need to talk about the last scene. So Ted leaves the house. He, he leaves the house. He house. takes one. He takes a piece of the shirt with him. Yes, exactly. He it's wants like, well for the. It's, sp- it's like the Solomonic, uh, you know, uh, compromise. Yes, I'm taking this piece <laughs> right. with me. They were both. They were both not the real owner of the shirt. Yes, I'm not leaving it. Uh, of course, uh, where is he walking to? As we discussed at the top of the episode, um, you know, he's he's taking his half shirt and going for a walk. By the way, it's daytime here. Even though he left, ha- this has been a long day. The kid had a birthday party. Larry went to the dentist. They came home and they watched the Wizard of Oz. It's it's still daytime apparently. Well, they're only like ten minutes into the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Okay. Fine. And he's uh, walking through a, a residential neighborhood. Yeah, it's not really clear. Um, yeah, and he throws the he throws the half of the shirt into the, the neighbor's trash, and all of a sudden we hear guys shout out, "Hey, asshole!" And the episode ends. Yeah. But here's my other question. So Alan Havy, he already promised that he was going to beat up the next guy. So listen, the next guy does it, and he's got to beat the guy up. But then he notices, oh wait, that's Ted Danson. Doesn't that like make yeah, he probably shouldn't beat up Ted Danson knowingly. Yeah. In fact, I would argue that uh, maybe a half shirt once owned by screen legend Ted Danson could have some value. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that, that depends on whether you consider that he actually owned it. Yeah. By the way, I'm actually thinking, like, as we do these episodes, if you're a person who has never watched Seinfeld and only likes Curb, like my wife, for example, probably a strange podcast because there's more Seinfeld references than Curb references. Uh, there's a lot of both, yes. Yeah. All right, Al. So let's uh, get to the biggest question here. Obviously, uh, with the movie that you absolutely love featured prominently, how do you rate this episode of Curb? Yeah, I'm. Maybe this is not a surprise. I think this is my favorite episode of Curb so far. Wow. I'm going to give it the full five. Wow. Pretty, 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 pretty good. Um, obviously, I think the Wizard of Oz stuff is biased for me and puts it over the top. But I think like the way multiple storylines from very early on come back and like reoccur throughout the episode it's like i think a masterfully structured episode um the pair story was incredible um larry's rant about the pinatas was hilarious and then yeah the wizard of Oz stuff for me puts it completely over the top i love this episode wow uh, i will say this episode is polarizing uh vulture ranks this as the sixth worst episode really wow but, I, but i've seen another ranker that has it number seven overall uh and another one that has it 11 overall so there's two people that i've seen of rankings that really love it a couple that really hate it most have it somewhere in the middle i, I i'm i'm you know i'm not where you are i, I think it's it, it's okay it's it's i just didn't find it particularly funny and it, like it's mostly to me it was mostly about setting up the restaurant storyline for the rest of the season um so i will say it is pretty pretty good i give it two which uh, probably means right. it's like the bottom five episodes we've seen so far. Like, I mean, I still enjoy it. Curb's an amazing show. But compared to other Curb episodes, I think it's below average. All right. Yeah. So I guess uh, at least I'm glad to hear that this is, uh, this is polarizing, that I'm not just some crazy lunatic. No, no. There are, there are rankers who love it for sure. And, you know, I don't know. I, I wonder in your case, though, if uh, how much of a bias the uh, – Yeah, I'm sure that definitely picks it up like at least a notch, uh, yeah. maybe more. But I really just thought that like the way the shirt comes back, the way Burt Bondi comes back, um, I thought was just like very well cleverly plotted. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm much more of a fan of uh, Dark Side of the Rainbow. I've definitely seen that more than I've seen the actual uh, Wizard of Oz. 
Yeah, no, Dark, I've seen. I, I've done Dark Sides of the Rainbow once. Yeah, um, it's it's okay. There's some cool parts. Most of it is just like whatever. Yeah. What What's your take on that? Uh, nonsense. So you don't think it's intentional? No. No. Right. There's like I know there is like there's the, the two main things that I remember is number one. There's a part where they in the song they it says like which is which. And like at that second, it flashes between yeah. the the good witch and the bad witch. Allegedly, like it, also you know, the explosion like of sound exactly. and money when they go from black and white to, to color. Yes, yes. There's also 13 seconds of silence um, on the on the album, which is 13 seconds when she's walking down a long hallway that plays. I mean, there's there's more. To to me, I think it was intentional. There, I think the, the I know were, the last one is that the uh, the heartbeat, like when she knocks on. Yeah. The, but like I like did so when you did it though, did all of these line up exactly right? Well, or because are these I, just like I, I didn't try and think of two different things. You can just watch it on YouTube now. <clears throat> right, but the first if somebody's put it on it YouTube, school, they could we manipulate to it to like it line. Th- they could sync it up for you, like to make it work. Yeah, a little I mean, bit better than it really does. I don't know. What I've read online is that some argue that the technology wasn't really available for them to be watching it and recording in studio at the same time. I find that hard to believe that they couldn't find some you know recording of, of the film. Um, I think that they were sitting around, you know, smoking weed one night day and listening to the, uh, watching the movie, and they just started playing some. It just seems to me that there's too many coincidences. Now, again, it might just be that the mind wants to see what the mind wants to see, and that's definitely possible. You know, sort of like the yeah. Bible codes or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I I I honestly feel like it's the type of thing that like not literally any song in any movie, but like there's probably like a lot of songs in a lot of movies yeah. that you could do stuff like that with. Yeah, I, I I choose to believe it. It's it's harmless to believe. It's not like a conspiracy theory that you know leads to like racism or or genocide. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm my like, my favorite such conspiracy theory. I think I once heard this from Chuck Klosterman. Well, is that genocide? And- <laughs> no, no, no. It's just like it's like the most harmless conspiracy theory ever. Um, but it's also like it seems very consequential. It's That's that you wonder's not blind. No, there's like this conspiracy theory that whatever a lot of people believe that like the years like I don't know exactly, but like seven hundred to nine hundred like didn't exist, and that whoever was like in charge at that time just like wanted to lengthen the reign of their rule, and like there's very few. I don't I, the the years that I chose. I don't know if those are the right ones in this theory. Um, I'm just choosing random ones. But there's some po- time period of like 200 years that, like, according to this theory, we don't have like any documentation during that range. And the theory claims that the kings at the time just said, "How about instead we make it that our family ruled for 100 years? We make it that we ruled for 300 years, and then we'll have better legacies." And everyone's like, "Okay, let's do that." Um, so really, right now it would be the year 1820, which makes no practical difference other than that's like super creepy and confusing. If if it was really 1820 now. Okay, so you know there is the famous thing about when they converted from the Julian calendar to the Gregorian calendar, and and they like changed like um, and they added 13 days. You know what I'm talking about? It sounds familiar, but I can't. Yeah, so when, when they changed calendars in the 16th century, whatever it was, so they they added the next day went from like whatever it went from like you know June 11th to June 24th or whatever the case was, but there were massive riots of the peasantry because they're like you just stole 13 days of our lives. You know, they didn't really understand that it was a, like a literally meaningless distinction. But it seems weird to me that they would have somehow stolen 200 years if, you know, but um, yeah, I'd, I'd have yeah, to. Uh, so I, have, I haven't heard that one before. Yeah, it's a phantom time of 297 years in the early Middle Ages. Um, according to this scenario, the entire Carolingian period, including the figure of Charlemagne, is a fabrication. Hmm. Um, yeah, I don't have any hot Charlemagne. Yeah. I feel like Olin should look into this for us, <laughs> or Jim Crumley. Jim Crumley probably knows all about this. Yes. Um, so, so the theory is that Charlemagne did not exist, according to this. 
I wonder if you go to Charlemagne's. That's what I'm on Wikipedia Charlemagne's page, website. Will right say now. some counter that Charlemagne did not even exist. Yes, there seems to be quite a bit about him. Yeah, I, I did a word search for Phantom on Charlemagne's page, and it did not come up. Yeah, so. uh, it doesn't uh, sound like the like the Charlemagne folks are taking this too seriously. Yeah, <laughs> listen, it's very. But it's obviously, very, they're very. It's very offensive to the Charlemagneans. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, or at worst, it's racial appropriation of Charlemagne. <laughs> All right. Uh, who... who is your come with guy? It cannot be Charlemagne. My come with guy um, in a first. I don't know if this is allowed. Um, I'm going to go with a guy from beyond the grave. And I'm going to go with my man Chet. His, uh, his shadow cast itself over this entire episode. The widow, the shirt, the episode name. We learn he's an, an incredibly big Wizards of, Wizard, the Wizard of Oz fan. I like that's that. I think that's a very good choice. I really didn't have one in this episode, which is, you know, we usually say indicative of uh, episodes that we don't necessarily love, although not always the case. Um, I'm going to give it to Michael York. In his understated manner, he really classes up the operation. Yeah, he's, uh, he seems like he's a, po- a net positive. He's a good guy you want to have on your team. Yeah. I wonder if he's the one who was set up, because obviously everyone in England knows each other. If he's the one who set up um, for Jeff only like seven years later, or actually in, in real life, like 17 years later, but seven seasons later when he got uh, Clive Owen as a client. Yes. Or as an almost it, client, I should say. Almost client, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so we listed our come with guys. Who is the worst person of? I had I had trouble with this one at first, um, thinking maybe Doctor Bloor, but I don't know. We don't really know for sure if he does anything wrong. Ted is kind of an asshole, but like Larry's also an asshole to him. And then I realized that lurking in the in the background this whole time was the biggest asshole of all, uh, and that's Bert Bondi, who for <laughs> no good reason decides to interject himself with in some sort of social disagreement between a stranger and his dentist. <laughs> I, I like it. I, I like the. Uh... Sort of the subtleness of the character, like yeah, know, he's we, just like what? What are you we, doing? We don't Why see very much involved of him, in this, but yeah, we see enough that he is the worst. You know, not not a not a bad selection. Uh, to me, you know, I mentioned Cheryl. I didn't like how she undercut Larry in front of Ted with the extra shirt. Yeah. I didn't like how she ditched Larry at the dentist. Um, but um, you know, Ted's non-acceptance of the gift is is pretty bad. But he redeems himself by visiting Larry to check in on him, even though he just really wants the shirt. Um, you you had a good one with Bert Bondi, but to me it's Doctor Bloor. You invite a patient to dinner, that's weird, but but fine. But then you believe that patient turned you down, and not wanting to be rude, he gave you a little white lie. No crime there, but you react by intentionally giving him large, like overly large chiclet teeth. That's like dirty pool. So Doctor Bloor to me, also to say nothing of how he treats Selena Meyer. Yes. Well, yeah. Um, so you think it's one hundred percent that he pu- that he purposely made it bad? Oh, of course. Oh, Cheryl you... seems to think not. Well, uh, Cheryl's just again. She's always against Larry, no matter. You what. You think she's just antagonizing him? Yeah, exactly. Okay. I mean, and also Larry is losing credibility when he blames a five year old for intentionally, uh, you know, uh, intentionally hitting him with a baseball bat, and he, he accuses Ted of, of taking out his shirt wearing. I guess. So, I it's annoying. I guess if you're Cheryl, that Larry's always. Sort of conspiratorially blaming other people for his issues, but those are comically large, like you would know. Yeah, um, yeah, they definitely look large, but I don't know. Maybe they're just large. I don't know. Yeah, well, neither one of us is an expert. But uh, listen, next time I'm at the dentist, I will ask them their take on this episode. I don't know. Do dentists like the Seinfeld Curb universe, or do they not? Um, I would imagine not. 
Yeah. Well, but I mean, the anti-dentists with better magazines. Yeah, but the anti-dentists dentites actually come out like sort of on the bottom, I think. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, by I don't the know. End, by the end, of you know things. what? I will ask. I will ask my uh, my dentist friends. Yeah. Okay. Do a poll and report yeah. back next week. <laughs> Postman, <laughs> Postman, come here. here Tell the okay. neighborhood. Right. Okay. We have two emails this week. First from Mr. Zach Brooks. This came in right under the wire, right as before we started. He says, "I always think of this episode when I'm walking the dog and can't throw the bag of the dog turds in someone's trash can." Good to see all the storylines coming together at the end. Four point four, sorry, four out of five pretties. Oh wow, pretty good. Uh, I will say, like a bag of poop is different than an apple core. Yeah, for sure. No, yeah, you can't, you can't do a yeah. bag of poop. Yeah, although better um, there than just leaving it on their lawn. Okay, obviously. And then we, yeah, then we have uh, Olin, Olin Allen writing in. All set for a new season. <clears throat> Don't think it got off to a great start. That's wrong, Olin. The absolute highlight to me was Larry with his Bugs Bunny teeth. At first, I thought it was a bit silly that I wouldn't fall for it, but I couldn't help laughing at them during his exchanges with Ted. Other than that, a bit of a Met episode, obviously with a bit of a setup for the season arc. If this was the first episode I caught of it, I may not have stuck with it. Like yourselves, I'm hoping Mr. Hutchinson comes back to help improve the mailbag segment or other contributors. Um, Villain of the Week, he gives it to Larry David himself, primarily for the exchange with Barbara about the shirt. Felt this was the first moment he was a total asshole without any reasonable cause or self-awareness. The first time I really felt bad, this SNL-style stereotypical element of his character actually occurred. Also yeah, not great. That is pretty, uh, you know, cold. This woman is obviously in pain. Yeah, um, but, like, I guess he, he thinks it's a bit ridiculous that, like, five months later, like, they still have to, like, make everything about her. It's not like it's like her four-year-old child died. But he was a husband who was a dynamite husband, in your opinion. Yeah, he, I agree he was a dynamite husband. But yeah. I, I mean, I think we're supposed to be on Larry's side that this is not typical behavior, that somebody is still a wreck like this five months after their yeah, husband but passed again, away but if they like are, when you're in your 60s. Days. Like that you can't like even like be around or function. But maybe yeah. I'm wrong. I mean, I guess, you know, people react to things differently and people have uh, their things yeah. and I have my things. So, yeah. But yeah I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I think I'm we're supposed to board your... Uh... Get yeah, sorry. Yeah, I'm not. I'm starting. Start trying to make this seem like this is you know, whatever. But I think we're she's supposed to be. A, a You're taking a deep hole. Let's just move on. <laughs> All right, don't cancel me. Let's do the podcast. Um. Okay. I have to find a new co-host. Yeah. Um. Also, not great with Ted's daughter at the party. Can side with him on the shirt issue. Yeah, I think at the end he's right. Michael York is the come with guy. Really. Oh, just nice. To... Wow. So me and Owen really on the same page here. Yeah. I uh, really just wanted to mention him. Hard to think he would be the same generation as Ted Larry, never mind six years older, looked much the same as he did in Cabaret 30 years earlier. Champion, charming and delightful, interested to hear where he ranks on your curb fame tier, playing themselves. I'd go for upper mid tier. Two pretties out of five. So Olin's on Team Chester. Uh, Zach almost on Team Av. So a classic battle for the ages. Yeah. So, yeah. So Michael York, where do we put him? Uh, in our hierarchy, let me see. Of of people who play themselves, he's he's more famous than Richard Lewis, Kathy Griffin. He's less famous than Ted Danson, right? Yeah, I mean, for the record, I don't think he, to me at least, he's not even the most famous Michael York. Oh, the singer, you mean? No, the uh, the hockey player who played for the Rangers. Oh, much, sorry, much more famous to me. Okay, um, I mean, I know Michael York. I mean, I actually did see Cabaret. Um, I saw it in school for a, uh, a Nazi cinema course, but um, I would say that I probably know him the most from uh, Austin Powers. <laughs> sorry, Ellen. Sorry, Mr. York. Uh, Sir York. Yeah, maybe even. I don't know. Um, yeah. So let's see. He's behind Ted Danson. 
Mary Steenburgen, Diane Keaton. He's behind Diane Keaton, right? Julia Louis-Dreyfus. He's behind at least in, in the world of people who are watching Curb, right? Yeah. And the same for Jason Alexander. Uh, he's behind Shaq, obviously. And um, he's sort of around the same level as, as Rob Reiner, probably a little bit behind Rob Reiner as well. Yeah, I mean, certainly I think like in comedy circle, like for a comedy that he's um, – Rob Reiner is more famous. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, among yeah, yeah, people who are watching Curb. So, but Olin Yeah, but he's Curb. definitely pretty high um, up. But listen, so in, the, in the British Isles, things might be different. They have a different ranking system. Who knows yeah, who so Shaq what's... is? Although Shaq O'Neill, he's an Irishman, so Olin, I'm sure, is uh, partial to him. <laughs> um, so what? So he's probably, what, like eighth or so? Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't keeping exact count. But yeah, yeah, somewhere in that range. Eight, eight to ten, probably. Yeah. All right. Not, not bad. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say that he's probably higher than Clive Owen. Um, well, actually, no. By the time Clive Owen yeah, comes Clive on. Clive Owen yeah. is pretty famous by the time yeah. that aired. Yeah. All right. Does Olin have more in his email? Or did we finish? That's all. That is all. Yeah. So, we, yeah, we also missed Tim Hutchinson. I wonder where he went. Uh, do people know how to send us emails off? How do, do, I don't know. How do people send us emails? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> you can email us at prettygoodcurbpod at gmail.com. That is the word pretty, the word good. The word curb, which is the name of the show, and the word pod, which is short for podcast, pretty good curb pod at gmail.com. Send your letters to the postman. We should really make it postman. We should buy the domain name pretty, 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 pretty good. And then we could do postman at pretty, pretty, pretty good.com. Yeah, that'd be pretty good. But uh, yeah. Yeah. That's more work than I'm willing to, to engage with right now. Next week, we have the Benadryl, Benadryl Brownie, an iconic episode. Larry has cable problems. And he uh, develops a scheme with Richard to give Richard's uh, new Christian scientist girlfriend necessary medicine. Yeah, that should be fun. Yeah. Um, so Richard, apparently, Larry having ruined yet another one of his relationships, is moving out. Like, in this case, as I recall, it'll be Richard who, uh, you know, Richard always doesn't want Larry to ruin his relationships. But here, Richard seems to be asking Larry to get involved with his relationship. So I would say that uh, for Richard, that is not a uh, very smart decision. Yeah, given his uh, understanding of who Larry David is. Yeah. All right, Av, next week, though, I don't think that we will have uh, any of your favorite movies, unfortunately. Uh, have you ever discussed uh, The Wizard of Oz on any of your movie podcasts, your many movie podcasts? Uh, yes, actually, previously uh, today on The Movie Ladder, I talked about having just seen Return of Oz, Return to Oz, and while not as good as the original classic from 1939, The Wizard of Oz, the Return to Oz is... Pretty, pretty, pretty. Pretty, pretty good.